This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am in a suburban and rural context. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet we are both in our first lead roles. To help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you. To truly live out Acts 20, 28. Well, TJ, here we are back again for episode two, and it was great to to connect, to hear our stories from the beginning part. Before we jump in, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off as far as, you know, here we are both in our positions and at our churches, and then kind of what was the first steps uh, for each of us once we got there. But before we do that, though, um, the whole Northwest has been hit with the second round of winter in a lot of ways. So I, I know being in Seattle, you guys don't deal with snow quite as well as we deal with it here in Idaho, but we got hammered this last week. And so how, how about for you guys up in Seattle? Yeah. I mean, where we were, you know, unofficially, I, this is with my tape measure. So that's about as official as I get on our shed. We had uh, got around the foot mark of snow. So yeah, we got hit pretty well. And like, you know, having been in the neck of the woods where you are, I think you guys are better equipped, better prepared for snow. Um, we're just not. And so I think one of the kids was like laughing when one of the neighborhood kids said, look, we only have like eight snow plows in all of Seattle. <laughs> so he's <laughs> like, it's not going to happen fast. So just, uh, you know, basically sit back and enjoy the ride. And so, yeah, we got hit by it. In fact, we didn't cancel service on Sunday, but uh, there was a picture of my two youngest kids uh, my oldest son and myself pulled them into church because we only live like 0.6 miles from the church we pulled them in on sleds so they rode into church on Sunday on sleds because nice. we didn't even we didn't even drive and attempt it so uh, yeah we, we definitely got hit by it I don't think we're as equipped or prepared as you guys to have that so um, yeah we, we had some of that same same weather mix going our way yeah, we had, again, we got a bunch of snow uh, Friday, Saturday leading up, and then it kind of broke. And so Sunday morning was fine, but the roads are still pretty icy. And, uh, you know, so we definitely had some people that didn't come to church because of that, and they just watched online. But, um, and then we got more last night. And so it was just once again, we got, but, but then it's going to be in the 40s today. So it's all kind of melting off, which is kind of typical in our valley. I mean, we can always see snow, but, you know, having it, um, in our neighborhood or right outside our window is is a little more out of the ordinary. I mean, we always get it every year, but again, it's not, uh, it doesn't stay around very long. So now it, uh, we've had snow on the ground now for several days in a row. So that's a little bit odd for us, but, <laughs> but definitely fun. And I think in the midst of that, right, is we had, again, my family, like we're skiers and uh, so this weekend was some of the best skiing of the year and we did not even go because oh. I'm kind of I'm banged up we went the week before that and I I fell and like bruised my ribs and so I've been really sore this last week so we didn't go and one of my other kids is hurt so 
Yeah, so we didn't even go. So we were literally sitting at home watching, like my, my kids were watching social media and like our local mountains posts and all this stuff. They're like, dad, look at this. And I'm like, yeah, sorry guys. That's like a snowers, I mean like a snow skier's dream, right? Is like fresh powder and all those kinds of things. I, uh, being an Islander, although I, you know, love the snow and, and being there, I found very early that my calling is water, H2O, and the liquid state. So surfing, those things, far more up my alley than doing that in the solid state. Uh, I've had some run-ins. I'd be on the sidelines with you right now because I've uh, banged up my knee and broke my hand, uh, my first ever run skiing. Uh, I went down with one of my buddies who had been skiing for his entire life. And, and being fairly athletic, he talked me into going up this lift going up another one. And I find myself going down for the first time on my first run down a black diamond run. And oh uh, yeah, ended bad. So I broke my hand in three spots and uh, I got the whole going fast part and my balance was good, but I just didn't know how to stop and how to bail. And so, um, yeah, my pole being around my wrist, I fell on it and everything. And, and then someone told me, you're not supposed to put it all around your wrist like an old person or something. So <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a skier by any stretch of the word. In fact, I got it. And uh, growing up, then going into high school, I was a big basketball player. So basketball was kind of my. Uh, was the goal. winter sport, right? Yeah. And yeah. they say, you know, that's so basketball kind of starts in November and then it's the March to March uh, for state. And those are your best ski months. So I always oh, miss yeah. them. And so like, anyhow, just never, never registered on my, my radar. Although I do appreciate the snow. I like it. Um, and I like to have fun in it. I just, I've known my limitations as far as skiing. So I guess I wouldn't fit in all the way there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely fun. We enjoy the snow, but, um, again, we like all four seasons. That's one of the things we love the most about living in Idaho is we get all four seasons. So, and we have stuff we like to do in every season. So, but yeah, so here we are in church world, right? Um, like I said, last, last time we talked about kind of our backstories, how we ended up in our, both of our first lead roles as pastors in these churches that were in need of revitalization. So again, today we're just going to pick up kind of where we left off with now we're here and just seeing, so what, what did we do when we first kind of hit the ground in our positions. So, and again, I'm a little further down the road than you are. I've been at Oregon Trail uh, for five and a half years. So coming up here this summer, well, I will complete my sixth year at Oregon Trail. And, but you are a lot newer at your place, uh, obviously, as we found out last week, because you followed me in the position at Cloverdale. So, uh, so how long have you been at Fairview? So yeah, so at the point of this recording, I have just crested over uh, one year. So um, just been here in this role for one year, and uh, it's been a it's been a ride. Yeah. So and and again, obviously, um, you know, as you shared last time, you got there, and then just a few weeks to a month or so in, right? You ended up with COVID protocols, and so. Uh, again, how you dealt with that. And like I said, that's one of the things we are going to talk about today, potentially is, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, about how, how we've dealt with that in our churches too. Yeah. So I, I came to Oregon Trail in summer of 2015. And, and just as we said, right, I didn't move far, but it was far enough that it was a whole different 
uh, culture when we got here and just on the, the different, different end of our metro area within Boise and but definitely a different demographic uh, than what we were dealing with at Cloverdale. And again, as both Church of God churches, that's even how Oregon Trail knew about me was that we're in the same state, you know, organization with Church of God. And so um, they, they knew, right, that I was at Cloverdale, but I didn't know anybody at Oregon Trail. The, the only person I knew was the one person on the nominating committee that came to me and talked to me about it. So beyond him, you know, I didn't have any like personal connections to people at Oregon Trail. Uh, and so obviously met people through the interview process and candidating and through that. But so once I stepped, stepped into this position, though, there was uh, the first thing that I did on the very first Sunday that I got here, stepped onto the stage to just produce my or give my first sermon right as their lead pastor. Um, I just told them a couple different things. The first thing that I did was told them, you know, because they all knew me as a Cloverdale person. Um, I was a staff person from there and, and just my, they knew me, you know, I was a Cloverdale face. And so the first thing that I did was just told him, I said that, you know, God's called me here. He you know, obviously has, has told you guys that too. You just voted me in. So I told him from, from this day on, I'm now an Oregon trail person. And I think I felt that that was important for me to establish with them that, you know, I've closed that season again. I'm not coming here just to turn Oregon trail into what Cloverdale was. Uh, and I know there was, and I'd kind of heard that there was, that was some of the concerns about hiring me was that I was just going to come in and, and just do everything this, the way that we did it, you know, at the other church. Uh, and, and again, they obviously knew their community knew that it was a different demographic and, and, um, didn't necessarily want that. So that was the kind of first thing I did. And then beyond that too, is, uh, just as we, I shared a little bit last week though, the church was really a blank slate when I came here, they had one service on Sunday. They really weren't doing much else. They had one, a, a couple small groups that were meeting, uh, but they weren't really running any kind of midweek programs. Uh, there is literally just the, the Sunday service and they were waiting for new leadership. So um, I just told the congregation, I said, so, you know, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask God what he wants Oregon Trail to be. And so I just called all of us together as a church family to just be seeking God's face and to be uh, in prayer and just for God to show us what he needed us to fulfill in this community uh, and how he wanted to use Oregon Trail, you know, in that mission. And uh, so that first Sunday, again, the other thing I did was at that moment, I told him, I said, and I, that's just one of my core values as a leader is I don't want to do, I don't ask you to do anything I'm not going to do myself. And so I literally got on my knees on the stage in front of everybody and said, let's pray. And so I literally got on my knees and prayed and at that very first service. And that, that really just set the tone for what we were going to do at Oregon Trail. And um, again, just for those that didn't know me at all, like I was hoping to show them just who I was and how I was going to lead in that. And that I was all in, you know, and that my family was all in and that we were here uh, you know, just seeking the Lord on what he wanted to do in this next phase. And so that's, that's how it started when we got here. And um, I started a message series on that day uh, out of the, out of Revelation. And I know I had a few people, pastor friends be like, you're really going to do your first message series in a new church out of Revelation. I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's bold. Um, but 
uh, all we did was focused on those seven churches, right, in the beginning of Revelation, and and just I literally just called the series um, if Jesus went to church, and just the premise of that, and I just told the church I'm like because we want to know what again it's God's church we want to know what what He wants us to do as a church, and we're seeking Him in prayer to find that out. And so, uh, you know, again, if if Jesus walked into Oregon Trail, what would He see? What would He tell us to do? I'm like, so we're going to start with what Jesus told those churches because he went to those churches and he told them what was good and what wasn't. And so we just started there. Um, and uh, with the idea and the goal that hoping that we would come out the other side of that study and of that prayer time as a church with with a vision of what God had want, wanted us to do. So um, that's how I started it at Oregon Trail. So yeah. That's, uh, that, like you said, there's some similarities. We started out with the weather that you were able to kind of grab some of those. I moved more to, uh, some people will say, the great north wet instead of northwest. Uh, Seattle is known for its rain, not as much for the snow. And so we kind of moved in, uh, well, I guess maybe part of that story. I don't know if I shared that with the transition. But when we went to go to Boise, uh, we moved on a leap year, which was 16. Uh, we moved in February. And then when we moved out, it was on 20, which was the leap year and moving out. So I don't know what that says about us and the leap year and leaving exactly four years, which going back to your story, you held the role that I held for exactly about a year before you changed. So there was like some real finite, really easy uh, calendar type situations as far as making those uh, points. But um you know, going through the process, we didn't know anyone here in Seattle. Uh, we didn't know uh, anyone that attended the church. And I guess probably to maybe predate that a little bit, what was really cool as we felt that way, we were, we'd served before in Washington or further south in Vancouver, which was about two and a half hours, maybe three hours south. And um, so we knew that. But maybe going back, maybe even more historically. So I talk about maybe my passion for missions is stems from missionaries that came to American Samoa, where my dad is from. And they came and, and they told my grandfather, send your son uh, to come uh, to America and get an education and stuff. And so he came. And uh, if it wasn't for people stepping out in faith and going and hearing that call, you know, I don't think that I'd be here. And so that really speaks to my level of passion for missions and, and otherwise. And so, um, you know, my dad came to the States and landed here in a suburb of Seattle in Northwest, uh, went to Northwest University. Um, and so he ended up going to school there. And so he was here and my mom was just south of the city uh, by the airport SeaTac. Um, and so Kirkland and SeaTac, I did have some family roots that were from here, but I was never born here or lived here myself. Um, but it was kind of nice to know that they were here. My parents had my brother uh, who passed away at 11 months old that's buried in a cemetery uh, with my mom's dad, like probably uh, it's just north of SeaTac Airport. Um, so where we're serving and, and a part of the community, you know, it's about 20 minutes south of us. And so there are some roots, even though indirectly from myself, but it was a, it was a step of faith. And if you know anything about... Uh, the two different cultures, as you talked about culture being different, man, uh, 
Seattle and Portland, where we'd spent some of our time, you know, they embrace different mantras than, than Boise does. Um, one of Portland's bumper stickers is keep Portland weird. And, you know, you can see that billboard right next to uh, Voodoo Donuts as you go and get those and, and all those things that are associated with it. And so they celebrate those uniquenesses of, of the culture where, um, you know, Boise still has a very um, different focus. And I think some of that's influenced by maybe even the LDS population that is in the community there. Um, but it's just like, man, if this is, uh, you know, those things are weird. We're still going to tell you about them where they're celebrated maybe more here. So coming into Seattle, we knew we were in a different part. One of the people that was on our search committee said, man, you're like going to a mission field. <laughs> this is going to be different for you. Um, not only for you, your kids, your wife. Um, and so we anticipated that to some degree, but we felt called as you did to, to come here and our first Sunday here, we didn't preach. Actually, we had uh, Bob Christensen who was interning at that time, uh, spoke the first Sunday. Excuse me, we rolled into town on a Friday. We unpacked some stuff. We got to participate. And then the first Sunday that we were here, I remember it very fondly. We had a family that had two kids, an older daughter and a younger son that wanted to be dedicated. And so we had family dedication right out of the jump, first Sunday. Um, and so that was a great opportunity to engage with um, the church family and to celebrate a win kind of out of the jump uh, to be a part of something that was great. And there wasn't really moving across. I didn't have some of those hesitations of that. I was going to be Cloverdale 2.0 or Cloverdale light, because I don't know many of them knew that they just knew that they uh, wanted to be a part of something uh, that was, that was functional. That was good. They saw the value in myself and my ministry and we both prayed about it and God brought us to that point. But one thing that you've talked about so far in our discussions is the concept of established churches. And so this being an established church, you look back and, um, you know, this has been in existence for over a hundred years, uh, Fairview has, and it's had a couple different names. It was Woodland Park Church of God um, when it was further down, but it has been a big piece of what has been going on. And so I think anytime you have an established church, um, part of what my goal was, was to come and not just change things for the sake of changing them for me, was to understand them and to get to know them and why they did it. And uh, we were here like three weeks and COVID hit. <laughs> and so um, I think every, you know, part of that, this first calendar year that I've been here has also been amended. So I don't know that I've got a true look at really what that year entailed. So that is, I got a chance to look at, but some of the things that maybe I can say that I was looking forward to or ways that I want to engage was um, I wanted to go through the first year and learn and evaluate before I make those changes, right? I didn't want to just make them for my own sake, but I wanted to be able to understand. And sometimes that purpose at which they do things was still spot on, um, but is it relevant? Do we need to redirect the delivery, uh, how we do that? And so people's hearts are always in the right place and wanting to do that, but maybe there is a new way to reach our community. Maybe that we haven't thought of, and maybe that's just you know social media and otherwise. And within those first three weeks, um, we were faced with the harsh reality of, you know, we said we'd talk about maybe later, but COVID and we didn't even have any online presence. 
And so for a church that doesn't have and now can't meet, we were faced with, okay, how do we make this work? And so, gosh, I, I want to say the first five months we went through uh, online videos and we tried everything that we could, whether that was live, whether that was pre-recorded, whether that was worship was live, worship was pre-recorded and going through all those different facets of trying to figure that out. Um, but that was one of the first things. And so we got online, we got a presence, we had some people rally behind us that said, hey, this is important to us. And um, we were able to get some cameras and, and get rid of my cell phone and uh, do some things that were able to help set us up. But for a smaller church, even though we were established, um, if you asked me, hey, TJ, what are some of the first things you want to do? Um, yes. Uh, thanks for asking that question, Brian. I'd really like to start an online presence. Um, I think I would have checked my vanity and a couple other things in that process to be like, that's not exactly where I thought we would have began the journey, um, you know, just a year ago. And so yet some of those things were there. And I wanted to be sensitive when we came that we weren't a restart or a reboot or one of those, you know, um, kind of words that is uh, kind of just a relaunch kind of thing. Um, I wanted to honor those that had stayed here that we're here, that we're a part of it, that we're serving, that we're doing those things. And, um, you know, if you had to use uh, a refocus, maybe uh, just refining what we had been doing and doing it well and trying to redo those things. So uh, those are some of the first things when I think I was coming in, we had that video piece, we had that, um, how do we, how do we make those parts work? And, you know, so I identified some of those low lying fruit, really to this point uh, year in, one of the biggest things that we've had that I've been working on is our child center. Uh, we have a child center currently, you know, on any given day, we probably have uh, close to 80 kids on campus. So we have a LEAF program, um, which is an acronym for learning enrichment at Fairview, the name of our church. And so it's been that conduit again, to kind of reference back to the COVID times of we're still not in person for school. And so we have an opportunity to engage with our community in a meaningful way to uh, have the kids come in and whatever this new normal life looks like, we have facilitators in the classroom that help them with their online learning. And that kind of allows the parents to have some kind of normalcy, whether they return back to their work schedule, even if that's remotely that they don't have a kid coming in every couple minutes while they're on a Zoom call like we are right now. Um, and, you know, just the ability to uh, interact in a way that also gave them some community, gave them some uh, connectivity to kids their age. And so we stepped into that role. And, um, you know, maybe I'll talk about that at a later point, but Church of God has been doing this initiative on the West Coast called C4. And that was our C4 initiative was kind of to identify a need in our community and then step into that gap. And so we stepped into that and we've been running with it. Um, man, if you're hearing this, be praying for a child center director because that's what we're looking for at this point. Miss Lita Brown has been filling in um, in a capacity right now for us, but we are praying that God will bring us a long-term solution, not just a Band-Aid, someone that has a passion and a ministry for this that will take it to the next level. And so, yeah, we are serving about 70 kids. And so that was really to start in that first year and first pieces was how do we engage? How do we, you know, interact with our community? How do we step into a gap where there's a need? And part of that is, you know, you have to be in the community to know. You have to be able to identify it. And in a place like Seattle, honestly, it's not can we get involved? It's where do we get involved? And so, like, again, 
when you're assessing this as a first-time pastor, as we're looking at these roles, it's like, where, uh, where are we equipped? So what do you have in your toolbox? And uh, what do you have around you? And what are your gifts, talents, and abilities to address them? And so there's so many things, I mean, from homelessness to otherwise here, but when we have kids, homelessness on our campus with the kids doesn't vibe real well. So understanding where your calling is and where you can engage and where you're empowered to be able to make the impact that you want uh, for his namesake and for kingdom work. So yeah, I guess that's kind of the shotgun approach of really a lot of that first part of the year and what that looked like and just maybe ways that we've tried to invest in our community. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's a couple of things that you said there, TJ, that I think, um, and like you said, we're in very different environments. Again, I'm in, just as we said, inter, right? You're in an urban environment in Seattle. Again, I'm in a more of a rural and suburban uh, context, right? On the kind of the outskirts of the Boise metro area. And, but one of the things that you said, one that again, was very important to me as well, and which again is, is kind of the premise of why we're doing this podcast, but that we are both in established churches and that they're not restarts, they're not launches, um, but they are truly, um, we want to honor the past of, of our churches. And, you know, that was one of the things, again, that, that was important to me too, when we started here, um, was to honor the past of Oregon Trail, to not leave those behind that were still here. And, you know, the, again, the, the average demographic in Oregon Trail when we came was was mainly older. In fact, that was one of the things that um, that I asked the church in the interview process because they were very upfront that they wanted a young pastor with a family, and I asked them, "Why do you want that?" Because that's that was exactly who I was, obviously, right? I mean, I had you know we had the three boys. My oldest son was just going to start middle school, and that was one of the reasons we moved because it was a good time to move our kids. Um, in the midst of that was one of the reasons we took the job to you. But so again, I'm asking like, why do you want that? Because that's not what the church was when we went there. And they, you know, they said, they're like, cause we look at our community. We know that, um, that there's a need for that demographic. And, and they said, and we've watched as they were, had gotten older. And even as their kids, you know, came up through the church and then were adults that they had all left. And one of the things that they had been heard from their own kids, right, as adults was there's nothing in the church for my family. And so that was one of the reasons why they weren't there. And so, um, so again, they, they were very upfront, right, that that's what they wanted. But then I, when I came, I w- wanted to be very conscious of not leaving those people behind, right, of not trading off that the older generation that was present in the church when we got here. Um, and because I was not willing to make that trade, you know, like I didn't want to leave them behind. And I, I felt like that it was something that we needed to do both and, uh, right. Like, yes, we can grow with young families, but we also need to minister to the older generations as well, um, and not leave them behind. And I think the other thing that we had said, right. Again, as an established church is how do we honor the past, right. And, and still be able to move forward. And, obviously when you come into an established church, like change is needed. I mean, that's, that's why we, that's why they, we came. Right. But at the same time, like there is a pace of change that is healthy. And like I said, that was one of the things where, when I came into Oregon trail was that they knew it was a pretty blank slate. They knew that we needed new things. And I think they were expecting me to change things faster than I did. 
Um, and, and in a lot of ways, I, I kind of, I pumped the brakes on them and said, Hey, we need to, and, and I did exactly what you said, right. Is like, I need some time to just see what's happening to learn our community, to find out again, how the church has been successful in the past and what of that should we keep? Um, what can we replicate and what do we not need to go down again or to start up again? Um, and one of the other things, right, that you said that I think was very similar, even though we were in very different communities, was we, I needed a chance to learn this community and even learn what was needed there and even um, what the community needed, right, and how the church could meet some of those needs. Um, but also, I think, in that was finding out, and this is what I think is very unique to an established church versus a, a plant or a relaunch or restart, is I also wanted to know what was the reputation of the church in the community, right? Because as an established church, they already have one, right? And I was really curious to know what that was and why people were staying away or why people had stopped going. Um, and that's one of the things that I found right away in the community was that most people knew about Oregon Trail. Uh, again, when they when they would ask me, you know, oh, why'd you move here? I said, oh, well, I'm I'm the new pastor at a at a church in our community, and again, they said, oh, what church? I say Oregon Trail, and I got some very common responses, and and I realized that there was about there was three kind of common responses I would hear from people when they knew that um, that I was at Oregon Trail. The the uh, the first most common response was, oh, that's the church that does mini bike soccer. And, and again, so mini bike soccer, it's, it's, we're still doing it. And that was one of the big questions I got from within the church. Are we still going to do mini bike soccer? And I was like, well, I want, I want to find out what it is. Cause I don't know what that is. I was like, and also I want to know, um, you know, I'm, I want to see it happen before I make that decision, right. To see if it's something, but, but I knew right away that that was something that we needed to keep because it was one of the main ways that the community knew Oregon Trail. And so anyway, what mini bike soccer is, is literally our Oregon Trail had ran for decades, this, um, this uh, indoor soccer league for three to five-year-olds. Um, and it was always done in the winter. Again, we have, as a part of our facility, we have a gym, we have a beautiful gym here uh, as a part of our church building. And so that was one of the main ways the church had used the gym for the community was they had ran this indoor soccer league in the middle of winter for these little kids, right? Three to five years old. And so now again, soccer is a very loose term when you're dealing with three to five year olds, right? But for most, and but I had heard that from the community, though, even a lot of adults, right? Were like, yeah, that was my first team sports experience, like organized sports experience was at Oregon Trail in mini bike soccer. And so again, I knew right away, that was one of the things that I saw right away when that was the number one response I got from people in the community um, that, that mini bikes was something that we needed to feed, right? That that was, and that was really the only reach into the community that Oregon Trail still had when I came. And so that, that was, I knew, realized very quickly, that was very important. And that was something that we were going to, again, to, to feed and to make way better and just to, to, you know, bigger, more effective, all of those kinds of things. So again, that was one of the questions was, you know, are we going to still going to do it? And, and, and again, from there, I mean, I, I kind of realized, I'm like, absolutely, we have to keep doing mini bikes. Um, 
one of the uh, the second most common response that I got from people uh, when they heard that I was at the new pastor of Oregon Trail in our community was, oh, I didn't know that church is still open. Ouch. And so, yeah, that was uh, again. And I said, okay, so now we have um, we have a, a PR problem right in our community because even people that are looking for a church don't even know that we're on the list. Right. And because those in the community, again, had assumed or whatever, you know, they, they saw that the building, there wasn't as much activity around and kind of all those kind of things and wondered if it was even still open. And so again, that was, uh, those are the two biggest responses The the third one, which was not quite as popular, but I definitely heard it more than just once or twice um, was, was they didn't know about Oregon trail at all. And, and again, as, as you know, right, as you were here, um, our Valley is, is one of the fastest growing areas in the nation. And in fact, it still is today. Um, and people are moving here like crazy. And so those coming into the community, of course, didn't know anything about Oregon trail, right? Even though it was an established church, they were near the community. They didn't know. And again, like I said, Oregon Trail wasn't even on the list of possible places for a lot of people to check out, right? Because again, right, they asked their neighbors, they asked those in the community, oh, hey, I'm looking for a church, where should I go? And again, Oregon Trail was not on that list. And so, so I'd say, yeah, I'm in Oregon Trail. Oh, where's that at? And I would tell them where a building was and I would hear from them be like, oh, I didn't realize that was a church. Mm. And again, we are right on the, we're, in fact, our location um, is right off of the freeway. Um, we are at a place where people drive by our building. I mean, literally thousands of people drive by our building every day, right? And they, and it's very visible, but yet again, I realized again quickly that even those that were driving by did not recognize that our building was a church building. And I think not knowing that, again, their signage wasn't great. There wasn't like, again, there wasn't a lot of activity going on at the church, um, you know, even as a part of that downturn time, the, the building was in somewhat of a dilapidated state. And so the, again, which brought the, those that knew it was a church brought the impression like, oh, is it still open? Right. But then also those that didn't know it was a church didn't recognize it as a church. And so that was one of the big moves we made uh, within the first year that I was here was addressed year, year and a half, um, was addressed the signage outside, addressed some of the landscaping outside and just the way that the building appeared. Um, and, and so we, again, we addressed that only because that was one of the again, top three things I was, I heard in the community as I kind of got into the community and started meeting people and, and telling them again, why, why we were there. Um, and, and again, the, as you know, and just all of us probably know, right, is like reader board signs and exterior, you know, signage on the building, that kind of stuff is not a cheap endeavor. And th that was one of the things that, again, caused even some, some of the drama that happened in the church. Some of those tough conversations were, was with people that didn't think that was a priority, that didn't want to spend money on that kind of, uh, and so which again is, is a whole nother conversation. I'm sure we can get into on another episode, but, sure. but again, one of the things that we do in, uh, in our spiritual growth classes, and that's part of our strategy, which again, we'll talk about later, but we have spiritual growth classes. We call uh, journey classes in the very first class. Um, when people 
come to that. It's kind of the basics of our church. And basically we go through our statement of faith and our structure and what church of God is and kind of all of this stuff. But what our vision, core values, we go through all that. But at the beginning of that class, I always ask everybody when they come into that class, of, um, why did you come to Oregon Trail and why did you stay? Right? And and still, I mean, again, I taught journey class one literally um, this last weekend. And again, the couple that was in that class, again, told me, well, because we were driving by, we saw the sign and we saw that there was activity at the church. And that's why we came. And that by far above everything else has been the number one response of why they came, hmm. right? Was we saw the building, we saw there was activity there and we were curious. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, you know, having a chance to kind of sit back and hear some of those things, I, I think there's a lot of parallels and um, really trying to figure that part out. And one of the terms, you know, you also... Um, have to set up uh, defined terms and uh, new ways to communicate, right? Like you get a new vocabulary that you just talked about journey classes. Um, you have to find ways that you communicate like a new vocabulary, so to speak. Not, I'm not talking like Christianese or something that's really difficult for someone sure. to understand, but like your vision casting, you're explaining, this is the vehicle. This is how we get there. And so like, if you're going to use a term in this instance, like what we have is established churches, some people call them legacy churches. What are we willing to be a part of? And like you said, as a young pastor in the first time, you don't want to have to recreate the wheel. And so the terminology is to come alongside of, to stand on the shoulders, the, those that have gone before us. So we're not recreating that wheel that we have a, you know, an opportunity to honor them and build on what they did for not only kingdom work, but for his namesake. And so I think when you have those things uh, coming around and one of the things that you identified, like at least we did here is we had an older demographic of people, even though we were serving the community in this child fashion, um, man, like not a lot of those families are coming. And so we're older, but again, just like during these COVID times, it's leaning into uh the opportunity. So like, if you look at that and say, well, we're older in nature, how do we impact? And so like, hopefully if you're inheriting a good group of people that have been walking with the Lord for several decades, words like discipleship or evangelism, those things should mean something to them in the sense of fulfilling the great commission. And how do you tell those young parents, those families, like, hey, you're going to get through this chicken little, the sky is not falling. Like God has a plan. And in the midst of this, as we're going through the Bible right now, we're going through the story. And like this past week, we talked about Moses. Like, here's this guy that every time he does something, it like, just, you're like, seriously, you're going to use this guy? Like he has a speech problem. He is a murderer. He's got like all these things against him. And this is the guy that's going to go and say, let my people go. So like, I think one of the things that we also had to establish is a young pastor in this role is kind of this, uh, you're invoking in that first year a bit of collaborative work. So you're really asking them as well, like you're melding together how they've done it and you want to understand. So you're giving them say and a voice into the project. And I don't want that to be confused with um, competency. It's not that you or I weren't competent. In fact, you talked about that in the first episode of like, man, I didn't know how prepared I was in some tokens to be able to step into this role. 
Um, I was yeah. probably better equipped than maybe even I give myself credit for and what God would has already been doing in you. And so like there was this piece of you're asking for collaborative versus lack of competency. And so I think that's part of what you have to get through. And oftentimes when you're, um, you know, stepping into an older demographic church, I mean, there's people here that they've got grandkids my age. Right. And so like, really, how do you, how do you do that? And one of the questions that you said in there for identifiable markers, um, we had to deal with, we don't have great signage. Um, but being established, uh, we bought back in the 80s, the building we're currently in, and it is over 45,000 square feet. It is huge. And the part where my office is, is the old wing, and it was built in like 1906. And then we have a new side, a new wing that's uh, just off this part of the building, and it was built in the 1920s. So it is the new wing, and it's about almost 100 years old. So, um, wow. You know, you have these really, really old things that, you know, stand the, the test of time. But again, what are we known for? Because it was a old elementary school. Uh, those are the things that people identify with. So how do you become and get past that misnomer? Maybe, like you said, maybe there's people that are listening to this that are a part of a church plant and they're meeting in a school. And so you got to get past that part of we're a church um, that meets in a school or those things. Like I think at times through the journey here, uh, this was a church that met in a school building, but it was a church. And then we had this child center and school that kind of came after it. I think somewhere along the ways, if you ask people, we might've been known as a church that met at a school, <laughs> even sure. though the church bought the building and it was its intent to reach out and do those things as community. So there's those things. And then one of those hard things that you, you know you you asked was, what is our relevancy? And this was one of the things to go back to that C4 topic was if we cease to exist, would our community miss us? I mean, you, you phrase that in a way of uh, mini bikes and in the soccer program that you have, but for us outside of maybe the families that we impact with giving them childcare and some of those things, like I literally had someone come up the stairs and say, like, we're walking out and looked at the building and was like, Oh, I didn't even know that people meet there. And so like you, your goal is not to, when you're trying to evangelize and reach your community and do things, you don't want to be the best kept secret in town. That is not your agenda yeah, as a pastor. So like, I think some of those same things we had, and in fact, we're still trying to address, you know, like when I was at Cloverdale, we put in a brand new digital reader board sign. We still have a, a, a more simplistic one here in Seattle. But I think, again, you talked, you talked about a, the rural versus the city. We live in a city where like right here, excellence is different and it's sometimes attached with a dollar sign. And so sure. I know we're not called to keep up with the Googles or the Amazons in Seattle. We have the two richest men at any given point in the world between Bezos and Amazon and Gates and Microsoft. Right. And so yeah. we have this, but we have these huge divides, but they are able to do things excellent. And so if we don't show them, or at least who a rock is built on with that excellence, man, people will, like you said, they'll just drive by you. You won't have that momentum. They won't see the commotion taking place because, man, you look dormant. And, uh, you know, Paul talked about it. And I know we're getting close to the end of the show, but Paul talked about it in having contentment. In today's world, contentment, uh, before, you know, the infamous 413, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He talks about contentment before that. And the tough part there is, man, 
contentment is a stagnant word in our society today sometimes. And so um, anyhow, I, I know I'm kind of going there, but yeah, I, I hear you on those parts, man. And, and those are some of the things. It doesn't matter, I guess, if you're rural or your city, um, you know, the need for Christ and for him to um, orchestrate and author what we are doing. And that's that's pivotal. That's our desire. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think at the end of the day, right, especially whether you're established church or a plant, right, or um, in, a, in a revitalization or a healthy church, the reality is that God has put your church where it is on purpose. Right? Amen. And, and so we need to seek the Lord and find out, okay, why, right? Why are we in this community? And like, like you said, if you think, okay, if the church is gone, will the community even miss you? And if, again, how you, how you answer that question should answer, show you that real answer, right? Of like, why did God put your church where it is, right? And why did God bring you to lead that church mm. in whatever season it's in? Because God, again, he knows you better than you know yourself. He equipped you with your personality and your gifting. And so can you fulfill everything that God needs you to do? And needs your church to do in the community he has put you in. And, you know, that's, again, one of the, another rabbit hole potentially we could go down, but I know that's one of the big reasons why churches end up in struggling times and are in need of revitalization is because the communities that they are in have changed around them and the churches have not adapted to that. And so that's, that's, again, is a very traditional reason why a lot of churches need revitalization uh, and again, that's like I said, that's a, another topic probably for another day. Um, also, one of the other things that we had mentioned in the midst of our conversation, which, which again, you said was big for you, especially with COVID, which was also true for us in a different context when I got to Oregon Trail, was your online presence. And that's definitely something I think that we need to address in future episodes as well, because that was obviously very different for you because of COVID and because of that than it was for us at Oregon Trail, but it was still a very major piece that, and something that we addressed right away as well. And so again, you know what? Hey, that sounds like a great place to start with episode three. Sounds good. Acts 20, 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 2028 podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts 2028 Podcast. Or send us an email at Acts 2028 Podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave us ratings and reviews, and even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you. And together we can all live out Acts 2028 as we serve in the established church.